This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I couldn't have a podcast about the creator economy without talking to Jack Conti. Jack is a founder and CEO of Patreon, and his whole mission with the company has been helping creators make a stable living. Patreon allows creators to charge monthly or annual subscription fees for access to their content. And since the company started nine years ago, it's grown to a quarter million of creators on the platform with 8 million fans supporting them. That breaks down to Patreon paying out more than $3.5 billion to creators. Patreon itself was recently valued at $4 billion, so clearly Jack was onto something. But knowing how much the creator economy has evolved, I wanted to understand where he sees Patreon in this landscape today. Patreon addressed a very clear need in its beginning, right? Helping creators earn a stable income through a direct relationship with their audience. So how is Patreon thinking about features to better serve creators now? And what does the middle class look like for creators? This is Creative Control. I'm your host, Casey Finey. Each week, I'll be unpacking the driving forces and people shaping the creator economy and what it all means for its future. Well, Jack, thank you so much for joining me. <laughs> oh, I'm psyched to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, my pleasure. So I there's a lot of ground to cover, so I want to hop right in. And yeah, I think you have such a unique vantage point of what we're now calling the creator economy because you started Patreon as a frustrated musician in, what, 2013? And now here we are in this ballooning industry that's worth like hundreds of billions of dollars. And so I want to start by getting your assessment of where we are now in the creator economy. Yeah, my official assessment is hallelujah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's... End of the podcast. There's nothing <laughs> hallelujah that we're here. <laughs> Seriously, I'm so glad. It seems like the world has like, man, woken up to the, the importance of this problem. And finally, now everybody seems to be excited about compensating creative people, what they're worth, instead of the minimum amount that tech companies can get away with. So I'm I'm thrilled that like that big companies, small companies, startups, venture capital, everybody's trying to solve this problem of like how do we make creativity not just like accessible and available for people and and ubiquitous and and cheap to enter into, but how do we make it a lucrative profession? How do we help creators become a legitimate contingent of the global workforce? How do we help creative people turn their dreams into thriving businesses? Like this is what we're starting to see now in the in this new landscape. And that is that is the hallelujah from me. It's a really wonderful time and place to be in as a creative person. When you think about Patreon then versus now, I mean, how have the needs of creators changed over the years? It's a great question. I think maybe the key thing is you know, when Patreon emerged in 2013, May 7th, 2013 is when we when we first launched. The mega pain point that we were solving and that we solved better than any company in the world, and actually in many ways are still solving better than any company in the world is, okay, so I've got this awesome online fan base, but I'm not making any money. Or I'm making $200 a month in ad revenue, even though I'm reaching a million people a month. Which, by the way, Oh, can I can I swear on this podcast or do you bleep out swearing? Uh, yes, you I encourage it. Let it fly. Okay. Um that's fucked. 
uh, to be reaching a million people. <laughs> I was a like month. waiting. I was like, which which swear is he going to say? <laughs> Good choice. Like, Good choice. Continue. <laughs> to to be reaching a million people a month and to get paid less than two hundred dollars for that is fucked. Yeah. That is unacceptable. And I don't know why other companies were looking up saying like, yeah, this is okay. This is how the world works. You're reaching a million <laughs> people a month. You get paid $166. Like, I don't know what world we were living in where that was like not the top of every roadmap in the industry. I mean, look at the world. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I guess so. Um, but when we emerged, that was the problem. We said, this is a burning fire. It is unacceptable that creative people are not being compensated for the value that they're giving the world. And we must solve this problem. That is that is that was our product in 2013. And since then, you know, so much has changed. We still do that very, very well. But like, you know, what's happened is creators are building these awesome fan bases, you know, that they're their most like passionate. Um, fans are flocking to Patreon and and being a part of a creator's membership on Patreon. Those creators are looking for other ways to serve them. And so one of the key pain points, you know, that we hear from patrons and from creators, for example, is like native media experiences. Mm. Um, like creators are having to host media on other platforms, whether it's, you know, podcast or video or, or anything else. And they want a simpler, easier way that that's more affordable to give their patrons, to give their their most passionate fans native media. And so, you know, we're building now native media experiences right into Patreon um, to kind of remove that friction, remove that extra expense, help creators do this in a, in a faster, cheaper, easier way, um, and still give their patrons like a really high quality, beautiful media experience. So that's one example. Another thing is like community experiences. Um, we want to be able to give creators community experiences right on Patreon as well, because that's where their fans are. And um, and the, the feedback that we're hearing from creators is like, gosh, we need better ways to organize our material. We need better ways to organize our work. We need better ways to upload our work. We need better ways to make sure that our community sees that work. And we need better ways to like communicate and be with our patrons. And so those are the kinds of things that we're starting to build on. I'd say that's probably one of the biggest differences between 2013 and now is like, we're really starting to build out the roadmaps for those native experiences in Patreon. Right. And so does that mean, because I was actually going to ask, because I know that there was, you know, some recent dust up with creators, uh, you know, really bemoaning Vimeo, like hiking their prices. And, you know, as it stands now, like Patreon doesn't necessarily host video content. So when it comes to these native media experiences that you're building out, I mean, how do you see that shaping Patreon going forward? Yeah, I've got two answers to that question. Patreon is a creator-first platform. We are creator-first. That is who we serve. It is who we care about. It is who we build for. We are not advertiser-first. If you look at all the media platforms on the web right now, yes, they say they're serving consumers. <laughs> yes, they say they're serving creators. <laughs> but who's paying them? Right. <laughs> who's paying them? And the answer is advertisers are paying them. So who are they ultimately beholden to? Who is their revenue beholden to? And the answer is advertisers. Exactly. They are advertiser-first platforms. You can call it whatever you want, but they are advertiser-first platforms. That is a completely different thing from being a creator. We don't serve, Patreon does not serve advertisers. There are no advertisers on the platform. We don't work with brands. We never have. That creates a very different set of incentives, a very different set of governance metrics for the business. What types of things are we optimizing for? What types of things are we building? How do we prioritize? All those things change 
when your customer, when your primary customer changes. Our primary customer is creators. And so the way we're going to build video ends up being incredibly different from something like YouTube or Facebook and the way they built video, which mm. ultimately exists to make advertisers money, right. right? If that is the purpose of those products, you execute them in a very different way than if your goal is to help creators build their businesses. Right. So will it change the dynamics? Yes. Will Patreon become YouTube? No, not at all. Because we're starting from a different place. There's different rules governing the ecosystem. The second thing I'd say about that is when I tell people we're building video, usually the, the first response is like, oh, so you're trying to compete with YouTube. Mm. And the answer to that is just flat out no. Um, we, we don't view ourselves, and, and this is probably a longer product strategy discussion, but we don't view ourselves as being like in competition with what we call top of funnel mass media platforms. Like Patreon's primary value proposition to our creators is not reach. We're not trying to get billions of people on the platform and be able to build like personalized content recommendation algorithms and discovery and and um, and that kind of stuff. And the reason we don't need to do that is because with just a few million patrons, Patreon is sending a billion and a half dollars a year to to creators. So we don't need to get two billion people on the platform to have this amazing business building tool for creative people. Patreon is about depth of connection versus breadth of connections. And that that means that like from a product strategy standpoint, um, we're just not really trying to do what YouTube is doing. And so again, it means we build video in a very different way. It serves a very different function in our ecosystem than it serves on YouTube. I find that fascinating because I fully understand exactly where you're coming from, but then one could argue that if Patreon is a creator-first platform, one way to really help creators would be something like discoverability, would be something like where me as a user could go on and see different categories like podcasting, you know, comedians, filmmakers, whatever, and sort of scroll through and see, discover new people that I want to support. So how do you wrestle with that of like being a creator first platform, but then also saying that you want to not do something like becoming like a have discoverability on the platform? Yeah, it's such a good question. And this is a, you know, a contentious one. And by the way, I'm not saying we'll never help creators find new audience, right? Of, of, like, of course, we're going to do that in, in different ways down the road. It's just not what we're doing right now. And I'm happy to explain that prioritization. Um, Please do. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so here's here's how we think. I about want it. answers, um, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm here. I'm here for the answers. Here, here's how we think about it. There are a lot of products on the web who do just that. That is their primary purpose, right? Why do I use Instagram? I use Instagram to find audience. I use Instagram as a creator. Why do I use Instagram? Because that's where the people are. That's the audience. Why do I use YouTube? Well, I upload to YouTube because that's where the people are. That's where I can find fans. That's why I don't upload to a thousand other potential video sites, right? I don't upload to the sites because audience is not checking those sites as much as audience is checking YouTube. So if I upload a video to YouTube, my video gets put into their discovery algorithms and it, you know, it finds its way around to other people's phones. And then lo and behold, millions of people see my video. That is like, as a creator, the reason to use those types of platforms is reach. Suppose Patreon were to say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do that for creative people. 
Now suddenly Patreon is in direct competition with YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and SoundCloud and all of these platforms that have 12 years of head start on us on solving these problems for creative people. We're going to war with the biggest tech companies in the world who have a thousand times <laughs> the number of employees that we have and resourcing and funding, and we're fighting them all at once on the same problem that they're trying to solve. I'm not sure that's a war that Patreon's going to win right now. Like, what can we do? What problem is Patreon solving? Actually, our focus is helping creators build their businesses. It's getting creators get paid. It's helping creators find their most passionate fans and bringing those fans into a creator's close-knit circle so that they can build that ongoing recurring revenue stream. It turns out that's a very different problem than helping creators find audience. They may seem related, and in some ways they are, but they require very different roadmaps. They require very different skill sets. They require very different types of, of expertise. They require very different products. And they have very different implications for the business and who your competitors are. And suppose we wanted to do the, the reach problem. Suppose we wanted to you know, solve that problem over the next year. It would require 100% of our resources to even just you know, make a dent against those other companies. So rather than do that, we've said, look, we're going to focus on what we can do the best in the world, where we can be the best in the world, where we can help creators with a burning problem that is a real problem to creators right now. And if like, there, it's not saying that we're going to solve every problem in the world for, for creators, right? They can get reach from other platforms. They can get financial services from other platforms. They can get, there's a lot of other problems that, that creators are getting from other platforms. We can't bite off everything at once if we do we wouldn't be able to survive. So we've chosen to focus with, with you know, laser specificity on this problem of recurring revenue for creators and their most passionate fans and how we can bring that to creative people. Anyway, that's the prioritization decision that we made. And largely, you know, that's kind of how we're thinking about it over the next year or two. We're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, Jack gives his take on where we are now with the middle class and the creator economy. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. I'm curious to hear from you. I mean, like, as more people flood into the creator economy, there will always be the top earners on any platform. There's always going to be, you know, that's always how it's going to shake out. But what do you think is needed for there to be smaller creators earning consistent and livable income? Because it's one thing just to have consistent income, but like, can you live off of it? So I would just love to get your temperature check on where we are now with the creator middle class. Oh man, I wish people knew. I wish people saw what we saw because it's Tell not. Them, Jack. Tell it's them. not. <laughs> so this is like the theme of the freaking podcast. But it's not. A, it's like ah, it's not a thing of the future. It's right now. It's right yeah. now. Fifty percent of Patreon's payments volume. Fifty percent of our payments volume goes to creators making between one and ten thousand dollars a month. Mm. That's the creative middle class right there, and that's half of Patreon's business. It's actually over half of our business. It's more than 50%. Um, you know, that's somewhere between twelve dollars and $120,000 a year just from membership. 
And if you're making, you know, if you've got a membership, you probably also have some ad revenue. You probably also do a few brand deals. You probably also have some merch sales. You probably do some live, some touring. You know, in most countries in the world, you're making a good living. That's a solid earning. That is the creative middle class right there. So here's here's the way I describe it is you're right. There will always be top earners, right? There will always be people who are just making an absolute killing on the platform. And there will always be people who aren't making money, right? There will be people who haven't found an audience yet. They haven't quite honed their playing or their storytelling or whatever it is. And they, they, they want to make a living, but they don't really have an audience yet. There will always be that contingent. But I believe that being a creative person now is more like an option than it is like a dream. Explain. <laughs> if you want to be a professional creator, you can. Hmm. Imagine if I were to say, I want to be a professional lawyer but I want to be a professional lawyer tomorrow. You'd be like, no, you got to go to school. You got to learn a lot. You got to put in the yeah. hours. You got to study. <laughs> well, same thing with being a creator. If you want right. to be a professional creator, if you're willing to put in four years of a grind and hone your craft and learn how to tell stories, learn how to manage communities online, learn how to edit, learn how to do post-production, learn how to work with the team. If you're willing to put in the grind for four years, in four years, you could be making a living as a creative person. I think it's more like an option than it is like a dream. And I think people don't know that mostly. I think people don't know that we're living in a day and age where you can have a podcast and be making $250,000 a month and still you go to dinner parties and no one's ever heard of your podcast and they don't know who you are and what you do. And again, I'm not saying everybody can be Coldplay. I'm just saying if you want to tell stories for a living, if you want to make media and edit and be yourself and not have a boss and do the thing that you do, do the thing that lights you up. That is an option now. And that is the creative middle class. I think that's interesting because this is something I think about a lot because I completely agree that the barrier to entry to becoming a creator and creating a you know livable income for yourself, it's getting lower and lower, like, you know, yes. by every passing minute. But then I also think about what's the saturation point? Like if everybody is out there, you know, becoming a creator, if we're, if everyone, you know, me, myself as a consumer, like subscribe, like having someone's Patreon, having like, you know, multiple Patreons that I'm supporting, you know, having, you know, multiple streaming accounts that I'm supporting, doing this, doing that. I feel like I always wonder, like, what's the saturation point for consumers here? Like, or do you think the appetite for consumers will always rise with the amount of people entering into the creator economy? Um, it's getting more crowded, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a crowded room. So. It's a crowded room. And look, I'm an eternal optimist. <laughs> Bless your heart. We need more of you. I in am. This world. And I'm not I'm not even faking it. I just think that shit is being solved and I think it's gonna be better. And I think we're literally coming out of a period of thousands of years where creators have been screwed by systems and people and corporations and Creators are emerging now with leverage and control, and that's fucking awesome. And I think that that is a long trend. That is a freight train going a thousand miles an hour, and it can't be stopped now. So, so that's like all this excitement, you know, from me is coming from that perspective. Yes, it's crowded, but look at the types of things. Look at what's happened with other art forms and other genres. Right. My point is, the world is breaking apart from lowest common denominator formats into an explosion of sub-niche domains and streams. I'll give you an example. 
I love a type of music making called modular synthesis. It involves mm -hmm. twisting knobs and connecting wires and hooking them up to functions. And you have these electronic boxes in front of you and you can, you can make noise music. And um, my guess is one in a thousand people on earth like this. And nine, 999 out of a thousand people listen to it and go, that's noise. I don't like that. But I love it. And guess what? There are thousands of people online <laughs> of course millions <laughs> who are like me who now there's four billion of us on youtube and these videos are getting millions of views <laughs> because we've all been connected and so if i like this weird fucking type of music semi-modular synthesis with a noise <laughs> thing in front of me i can make that and reach millions of people so yes it's getting crowded but these genres are breaking up and we're able to be our true selves and do things that we like that are no longer lowest common denominator pop format songs that the whole world is going to like. And we can find our audience. We can find our people online. They're there. They love what we do. They love what we do. We just haven't found them yet. So that is happening. And, and it's all over and it's happening in in you know, in music, it's happening in video. It's, we're seeing, I, I saw this one guy, he's making hiking videos. He loves hiking. He goes hiking. They're silent videos. He doesn't talk. Hmm. He like films himself putting on his shoes. And then he films himself setting up a tent. Like the whole motion of him setting up a tent, 15 minutes of him setting up a tent. And then he goes on a hike and he just has a camera in front of him and a camera behind him. He walks up a hill. These videos are like 45 minutes or an hour long. Who would have thought? that millions of people would be watching these long format hiking videos. But people like being with this guy mm -hmm. as he goes on hikes. And so, yes, it's getting crowded, but I think there's more opportunity than ever to find your tribe online, to find your subgroup, to find that group of folks who like you and nobody else. I find it interesting that when we talk about, you know, the middle class and the, and the creator economy, we're usually talking about income when there's so many other factors to consider, like healthcare, childcare, labor issues. And so do you think we could have a more holistic middle class in the creator economy, not just talking about income, but every all the other things that are that we talk about in the middle class in other job sectors? I believe all of this is going to be solved over the next decade or two. Okay. Um, it's not going to be solved in 2023. But the analogy that I use is what has happened to startups is about to happen to creative small businesses. Mm. So let's look at what's happened to startups over the last 20 years. I mean, there's this whole type of business now, which is like an enterprise SaaS company. You know, that's that's really developed over the last you know decade or two um, and is now like a great company for, for investors to invest in because um, it has this amazing financial profile you know, with kind of a, a readout of core metrics, you can really do a good job of picking winners. And, and some VCs have even, they have a strategy of like, we're only going to focus on B2B SaaS companies because we're really good at picking winners there and we know what to look at and we know how to help these companies. And what has happened there, if you zoom out, what's happened there is as startups have kind of become mechanized, right? You get like companies like, like YC, Y Combinator, you know, that's essentially helping companies incubate and spin up. There are more and more attractive companies. And so there are more and more companies that have emerging problems. I think last I heard, there's like a thousand companies with over a billion dollar valuation, mm. like startup tech companies. So there's, there's more and more of these companies. Now, more and more of these companies have the same sets of problems. Like, what are we going to do? I'll spin up 
our own data centers and do all of our own hosting? No, there's going to be a company that emerges to do data centers and hosting for startups. And that's like AWS, right? AWS came along, which is, you know, was Amazon and basically solved storage and hosting for, for companies. And then there's things like CRM. We're going to be tracking when did we have a last conversation with this person? When do we want to reach out again? You know, what, what do we want to reach out with? Uh, where do they live? You know, so, so that when we're in this city, we can say hi to them. CRM, customer relations management software. That gets productized as well. Answering email tickets gets figured out by Zendesk. Um, and essentially what you've gotten is all these problems that all these thousands of companies have. Some B2B SaaS company comes along and solves those problems with a component. It's like a Lego block that those companies can plug into their business that allows them to do their core competency and not focus on building out everything. And at this point now, you can build companies like you can kind of build a Lego set. Mm. You can plug in the native video backend with the CRM unit, with the hosting from AWS, with the customer service from Zendesk, with the CRM from Salesforce, you name it. You can build companies through components. Um, that has happened over the last 20 years. And that is a phenomenon that is incredible for startups because it makes company building accessible to more people and it makes it possible at a broader scale. That is the phenomenon that I believe is going to happen over the next decade or two with creator businesses. Every problem that you can imagine that creators have, how do I find an editor for my podcast? Well, we're not building it, Patreon's not building it, but I'm pretty sure there's going to be a marketplace company that emerges that connects creators with post-production assistants. Right. Like, I'll be damned if that company doesn't pop up and become a billion-dollar company in the next 10 years. Very true. How about creator healthcare? I'll be damned if a company doesn't pop up in the next 10 years that helps ensure that creators are covered and have disability insurance if they get hurt and can't make a video that week. How about HR and payroll? for creators, which is really different than HR and payroll for startups, right? It's like a completely different thing. Creators aren't building 600-person teams. You know, they need, they need something creative and fun and that they can trust that works with five people or six people. Um, so how about payroll and, and back office financial services for creators? How about business intelligence? Understanding the core elements of my business, my KPIs, which things do I track? How are they growing? Are they moving in the right direction? All these things are going to be componentized and applicable to small business creativity over the next decade or two. Now, these are big businesses that are going to take a long time to build and a lot of focus and a lot of smart people to build them. But again, I'll be damned if that ecosystem doesn't pop up around creative people and support them in a component by component way to sort of brick together, block together effective small business creative media companies. And see, the fact that you're thinking about this now makes me wonder, I mean, what place do you see Patreon, if any, having in that in the future? Like, I don't want to speak for you, but I would imagine, I don't I don't know if you want to get into the healthcare space. I don't know if you want to get in, you know, the union space. Like, I guess, like, where is Patreon's place in the future of the creator economy? Yeah, it's a great question. And the way we're thinking about it is, at the end of the day, we want all of these things to exist, and we want creators to be able to leverage all of these things. And it doesn't mean we're going to build everything. Now, some of those things we want to build. Which ones? I don't know. That's sort of the our, our 10-year outlook. But I'm sure like some of them will make sense for us to maybe acquire 
or some of them will make sense for us to build ourselves, or some of them will make sense just for us to partner with, um, where we'll allow creators to plug in some backend to their Patreon earnings, and it allows them to get some kind of service that they wouldn't be able to get otherwise. And we can connect with those other services via API to make sure that creators get the benefit of, of those couplings. Our place in that, I think, largely, we want to be the best in the world at membership. We want to be the best at helping creators give exclusive content community experiences to their fans um, in exchange for that subscription payment and recurring revenue for the creator business. And then what we want to do is, on top of all those things, solve more incremental problems for creative people. And some of those things are going to be like the capital product, which, which we released a couple of years ago. And some of those things will be other things that we can do with native media and, and content and maybe production or um, helping creators sell things to their fans. Who, who knows? Th those things you know, are, are coming further down the road. Mm. But our place really starts with being the best membership platform in the world and helping creators build that subscription revenue stream so that they can uh, basically get their, get their uh, media businesses off the grounds. Mm. And to that point, I'm curious about subscription features, like membership features, because right now creators can charge, you know, monthly or sometimes an annual fee for their content. But what if I, as a consumer, want to buy like a single podcast episode from a creator or buy into like a single live stream? So what thought have you given to allowing creators to charge for their content a la carte? It's something that creators want and fans want. And I, I think want it, makes... Jack. I really do, because sometimes <laughs> I don't want to pay $20 a month. I just want that one thing. Yes, and 100%. And, and actually, so, it's, sometimes it's not even just one thing. Sometimes it's, yeah. I want that season. That could, like right, this exactly. season of that podcast, those 12 episodes are banging, and I want access to that season. Yeah, I think eventually Patreon needs to be able to, you know, offer those sorts of digital commerce capabilities to creators. Now, that's not it's not something we're we're building right now. Why? Because we want to, you know, be the best membership platform in the world. I do think it it does make sense in the near future. I think uh the idea of like purchasing a, a single piece of, you know, a single episode or a single video or or getting tickets to a single live stream makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Listen, I need that roadmap. Tell me when. <laughs> <'cause> I, <feel. laughs> and I, I do think it's interesting that you you have this laser focus of, you know, just wanting to be, you know, just the best at this, like at being like a membership platform. Because I think once you've been, Patreon's been around for, you know, what, close to like 10 years now. And so I feel like it's it's easy for some companies to get the traction, get the exposure, you know, get have the success and then want to do a million things at, at once. And so... I mean, is there, I guess, like, what's at the root of you having that focus? Like, was there a time where you tried to branch out and it didn't work? Like, I guess, like, why are you so focused when me, I, me looking at the company, I'm thinking like, oh, that, that, that might be like an easy switch. That might be an easy thing to just say like, oh yeah, I can, you know, like we can allow creators to charge for single pieces of content, but it sounds like you are really just being like, I hear everyone in the room right now, but no, I want to, we're just focused on just this right now. So what's at the root of that hyper-focused? mentality it, it's another good question um, that's all i got jack are good questions. I, you Come just on. got a bunch of good questions damn it why can't you ask some fluffy doozies because i want um, answers jack. <laughs> <laughs> um uh yes we have made prioritization mistakes in the past we've been unfocused in the past and i've seen the follow-on effects it can have on a product it's one of the I think hard lessons I've learned as a co-founder and CEO of, of a of a product company. Um, Is there an example? 
how many do you want? How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> your best one, your juiciest one, your biggest <laughs> flop. Come on. I mean, it's it's funny because these things are not even things that have flopped. It's just that we've done, we've tried to do too many things in the past. Mm. And so no one of them really took off and reached its full potential. Right. And one of my lessons from years of, of operations now is the sort of superpower of radical prioritization and radical focus. When you have one thing that you want to do really, really well, this is more of a North Star for me than it is like a regular practice. I have to keep reminding myself of this because I'm also a creator and I love doing a thousand things and I want to spin up this project and that project. You know, I, I, I can get shiny object syndrome, I think, as much as anybody else. And so I have to play against that for me as an operator and even as a creator. I have to, I have to, um, know that that is kind of my steady state and be self-aware about that so that we can knock one thing out of the park. Like what is the most important thing and how do we knock that out of the park? And when I think about like what is going to help creative people the most over the next two years, it is an amazing content community experience in exchange for a subscription payment for their fans. I'm convinced of that. If Patreon knocks one thing out of the park over the next couple of years, it's got to be that. Mm. And there's been, you know, thousands of hours of of thinking and discussion and strategy and th that's gone into that discussion and, and that prioritization. But that's where it comes from. It comes from that uh, desire to radically focus and from learning some of those lessons the hard way in the past and from wanting to make sure that we're doing the most important thing for creators over the next, you know, two years. Right. And to kind of sum up everything we've been talking about, I mean, I, f I find it fascinating that we we used to talk about the creator economy as the passion economy and, and, and that people were making money off of what they love to do. And now we're seeing the creator economy as more of the ownership economy where there's now a way to have that more direct financial transaction with your audience instead of relying solely on ad revenues or brand deals. And so what's next? Like, where do you see all of this heading? Yeah. Um, sounds like we got a Lee Jin fan in the house, too. <laughs> the passion economy, ownership economy. I mean, listen, I, I, I'm tapped into this, and I think I, I feel it's, it's, it's interesting how we talk about these things. So I, I'm curious to hear from someone like you, again, who yeah. is a creator, who is, you know, the CEO of a platform that is, that is geared toward helping creators make a sustainable living. What do you see as the future of Call it what you want, ownership economy, creator economy, passion economy. Is there going to be a new economy that we're going to call this thing? <laughs> Part of what I think is so funny about all this, Patreon's been talking about helping creators build businesses and and make a living since, you know, 2012. So it's funny that this is a, everybody's suddenly talking about the creator economy. This is one iteration of many, many creator economies that have come before it. Um, from unit sales, you know, over the course of the 1900s to patronage before that. Um, there have been many creator economies. And uh, this is, you know, this is a, a new version of a, of a creator economy in the day and age where there's infinite replicability and a lack of scarcity. And what do you do about that? But where is it going? It's going to a world where being a creative person is normal, where there are hundreds of millions of us that when we graduate school or not, we think of being a creator and a podcaster and a video creator. It's like being a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or anything else. It's a job. It, we can do it. It's fun. We love it. And it's lucrative. And all the infrastructure is there. We're connected to society. We're not outcasts of society. We're a part of the world. 
And kids growing up think about it like that and know that. They know that if they want to do that for a living, they can do that for a living. I think that's the world that we're going to, and we're pretty close to it. Um, I think as all these changes happen over the next decade, we're basically going to get to a culture where the stigma of the starving artist fades away completely and artists are valued, respected, cherished members of society who are adding value to the world and to global production like anyone else. We can leave it on that beautiful note, a creator uprising. <laughs> yes, that's what's happening. Jack, thank you so much for your time. This was wonderful. I really appreciate it. Of course. And that's going to do it for this episode of Creative Control. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as always, we want to hear from you. If you have any questions or feedback on the podcast, send it to podcasts at fastcompany.com. That's podcast with an S at fastcompany.com. Fast Company podcasts are produced by Franz Bowen, Avery Miles, and Blake Odom. Editing and sound design is by Nicholas Torres. Our executive producer is Joshua Christensen. And editorial oversight is from Deputy Editor Kate Davis and Senior VP of Entertainment Scott Nevis. Mm-hmm.